Luke chapter 1. Thank you, Paul Jr., for that devotion earlier. Thank you, girls, for singing. And uh, Nikki, let me know when I'm done. Just give, just give me a signal. That was funny. Normally, it's the preacher's wife that does it. All right. Luke 1. In today's text, we're going to look at um, the announcement of, I guess, what we should say is the most amazing thing that's ever happened on this earth, that God left heaven and came to earth in the incarnation and the birth of Christ. And today we're going to look at the, the announcement of it. And I think no matter what time of year it is, if you come across this text or this topic, it should be approached with a sense of wonder and a sense of praise and a sense of love for, for our God. So if you found Luke 1, find verse 26, and we'll read through verse 33. If you found it, say word. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. May God bless the reading of his word. And I'm going to give you quickly this morning three points from this text that teach us about the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to see is notice it was a humble setting. It was a humble setting. I mean, we know from studying and, and hearing the story of the birth of Christ that he came in a very humble manner as well. But even this announcement of his coming it begins to just show us the, the manner of humiliation, the manner of, of just the manner in which Christ would come, a lowly manner in which Christ would come among us. And we see it in a few ways. The first way is, is the town that they are in. Mary is there and this angel Gabriel appears in a town called Nazareth. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, as we heard about some this morning, um, you'll find the city of the town of Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament whatsoever. It's not mentioned at all. What we do know is that it was a small agricultural town that was a good distance from the Sea of Galilee, and so it was not a well-known city. It was not the big city. It was out in the country, if you will. It was out outside. It was rural, and it had no really significance and yet, that's the place where Mary was, where the angel showed up to speak to her. Did this, by the way, did this town and the name of it stick with Jesus through his life? 
It did, didn't it? Some people called him Jesus of Nazareth, right? And I found in Acts at least one place where followers of Christ were actually called Nazarenes. And so it certainly stuck. But the emphasis on what you see is that it's really an obscure town in Scripture. The next thing you see is not only a humble town, but you see a humble place and a humble person, excuse me, and that is Mary. I mean, we know she is spoken of highly here, but from an earthly standpoint, um, there was nothing necessarily special about her from an earthly standpoint. Um, she was a young lady. We see there in verse uh, 27, um, it says she's a virgin, a young lady. She's espoused or betrothed to uh, Joseph. We know that their betrothal is more than our engagement, and it was a legal binding thing to be betrothed or espoused in those days, and for them to split up would actually take an act of divorce. Um, and so it was more than our engagement, and I would say probably a little less than our marriage in our, in our minds. But either way, she was a simple, as far as we can tell, a simple girl, not necessarily from a rich or famous family. And notice that the angel Gabriel came to a humble place, to a humble person, and made this amazing announcement. And thinking about that, as we heard earlier, just so happened, I like how you said that, just so happened, it just so happened God in his providence chose this humble place and this humble person as the place and the person where he would make this announcement and to whom he would give this son. I mean, could God have not brought about Jesus in Jerusalem or in another big city? He could have. Could God have chosen a lady who was rich and famous? Could God have chosen a young lady from the line of kings who could have been the mother of Jesus? Yes, God in his providence could choose anyone, but yet he chose this place and this person. As J.C. Ryle said, this was an advent or a coming of humiliation. We often think about the end of Jesus' life as humiliation, as he, was, as he suffered and died for us, but his entire life was a life of suffering, really. His entire life was a life of humility from beginning to end. Our Savior was a humble, suffering servant. Can I make some application there in two ways? First, we, we should be very careful not to despise the poor among us, right? Because our Lord was the poor among us. We should be careful not even to despise even ourselves if we go through times, and some of us have been through times, of poverty, and, and maybe not just financially, but in other ways, spiritual poverty or you know, other types of poverty. But we should not despise even ourselves when we go through those times because Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, chose a humble life, didn't he? One time Jesus actually said to some people as he was teaching, he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his what? His head. So he was saying, I, I don't have much, but if you want to follow me, you're going to have to count the cost, which means you might suffer as well. And that's the kind of Savior we have who calls us sometimes to abandon things that we may not want to abandon. Our culture is so bent on praising wealth and the rich and famous, and we make idols of those things. And do you see the complete opposite of that in Jesus Christ? It's not about idols. It's not about wealth. It's about serving him. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I think I have it up there for you. 
Um, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor. Jesus Christ left the riches of heaven and came to a humble place. And he could have came, by the way, as a mighty conquering king if he had wanted to. And by the way, the next time he comes, that's how he will come, as the mighty conquering king. But he chose to, be, to make himself poor, that he might make us through himself rich. There's something special, there's something relatable, I think, to think about our Savior as born of a woman, living lives like we do in a sense, suffering like we do. What love Jesus showed throughout his life. It should constrain us to live to him and not to us, to live for him, not for us. It was a humble setting in which this announcement was made. Let me give you number two. It was a high privilege. When I say this, I'm looking at verses 28 through 30, and I'm thinking about Mary. He says, you are highly favored. He says in verse 28, the Lord is with thee. And you are blessed among women. I mean, that, that verse speaks, speaks highly of her, doesn't it? The Lord is with you. You're highly favored. You are blessed among women. Verse 30, you have found favor with God. He speaks very highly of the Virgin Mary, doesn't he? But, as we know, some people hold her in higher esteem than the Scripture does, right? And I think it's important to say that as we come across this part of Scripture just to make sure we're on the same page, we do not pray to or through Mary, do we? Right? That's not something we do. We do not worship her. We do not hold her up to that standard of Christ. Of course, there's none, there's none but God. We can certainly say she's an honorable woman and, and that God chose her certainly showed something out of his, his grace toward her. But we understand that no scripture warrants our praying to her or our worshiping her as many people say what's the uh uh, the the roman catholic prayer um hail mary full of grace um if you want to say that the you can say that i guess but you understand she's full of grace in that god gave her grace not that she gives you grace or us grace um and so uh, i want to make sure we always say that when we come to this part of scripture um she was a certainly a woman who is spoken very highly of Certainly a lady who we should look up to in that sense, but never someone we should worship, of course. I mean, think about it, though. Billions of billions of people have existed, and God chose this young lady to bear her son. So that is special, right? That is special that he chose her. And so we would do well to study what we have in Scripture about her. Um, and I was thinking about that, how people in certain you know, religions right, raise her to a high standard. Do you remember in Scripture, and I found two of these, now, if you're writing these down, but you can write them down. Mark 3 and Luke 11, two different scriptures where basically one, Jesus is teaching, and some people come up and they're like, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And this is Mark chapter 3. Jesus, he looks around and he's, he says, here are my mother and here are my brothers. He says, those who do the will of God, that is my brother and my sister and my mother. He's emphasizing the spiritual relationship, right, more than the earthly another time you may remember this in luke 11 this lady walks up and she says she says jesus blessed is the womb who who bore you blessed is the womb 
And he says, rather, I say to you, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. And so Jesus made sure we didn't worship her, but we saw that Mary, just like us, needs to follow Christ in discipleship. It was a high privilege, but we certainly want to make sure we understand what that means. Number three, and finally, a holy Savior. Look at verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. He said, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now verse 32. He shall be great. So you'll see that here. Letter A here. He shall be great. Jesus is greater than, and I went through and just started writing down some things that he's greater than. He's greater than Abraham. By the way, these are all from the Scripture. These are verses from Scripture. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Jacob. He's greater than David. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Jonah. He's greater than John the Baptist. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the Sabbath. He's greater than the church. He's greater than the angels. And I should have led with this one. He's greater than all creation, <laughs> isn't he? He is, as is it Colossians, it says he is preeminent, supreme, superior to all things and all beings. I've been, I think I told you all a while back, I've been like doing some reading on cults, which just fascinates me, and it's intriguing. And to see these people claim to be Jesus or claim to be God, it's just so silly to me. Uh, because they all sin, they all fall short, they all you know, basically lead people to destruction in their lives. But we understand no false God, no false prophet can ever compare to Jesus. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Gandhi, not Confucius, not Joseph Smith. And on and on and on. None of these compare to Jesus Christ. You can't even make it. It's not even a comparison. There's not one here, one here. There's Jesus up here and everyone else down here, including us, by the way. They pale in significance. Every other person in history pales in significance when compared to Jesus Christ, including us. Especially me is what we should be thinking. He's a, he shall be great. The angel says. We could, we could, that could be a whole sermon about how great Jesus could be. He was great in his teaching, wasn't he? He would teach and people would flock at times to hear the words he would say. I mean, you know in the Bible times, by the way, the teacher would sit and the people often would stand. We should try that at church sometimes. Y'all stand the whole sermon, I'll sit. So he would sit there on the mountainside and they would come to him and stand and listen. And they would stay so long he would have to feed them, right, sometimes. And so he was great in his teaching. He was great in his miracle working, wasn't he? Water to wine, walking on the water, calming the storm. He was great raising the dead, healing the sick. He was great in his miracle working. He was great in his teaching. He was great in his living. He never sinned. The sinless Savior. And we know he was great in his death and resurrection as he gave his life and rose again for our salvation. He shall be great and gabriel said it right gabriel said he shall be great and guess what he was and he is next he shall be called the son of the most high this is in verse 32 as well he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest i found this interesting uh, back in genesis 14 there was a man named Melchizedek. Y'all probably some of y'all read about him in Genesis 14, and he was the first person to call God this name. He would say, "God is the God Most High, the Lord Most High," and then it actually stuck. 
it actually stuck that that would be a name used for God. Um, uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar both used that name for God, and you'll see it also in the, um, in the Psalms. You'll see God Most High, Lord Most High. He is high, exalted, supreme, lifted up. And so this verse says, the angel says to Mary, your son will be called the son of the Most High. She would know who the Most High is. She would understand that's talking about God, as we've seen in, in the Old Testament. My son's going to be the son of the Most High? And the point of that is not just that he's the son of God, but that means he is what? He is God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we understand Jesus uh, did not become the Son of God at his birth. He always was from all eternity the Son of God. But when he came, he would then be acknowledged and noticed and worshipped by us as the Son of the Most High. When you come to worship him, whether it's together on Sunday morning or in your own private devotion time, when we think about him, when we pray to him, when we worship him, we understand we're approaching the Son of God Most High, the Son of God, the one who deserves our attention and our worship. Letter C, now you'll see here, he, it says, He shall reign, in verse 32, and we see some of this in verse 33 as well, He shall reign over the throne of His father David and over the house of Jacob. Um, prophecy here that will one day be you know, filled in completeness um, about the greatness of Christ and about His uh, his lineage, uh, letter D, his kingdom shall have no end. Have you ever read through scripture and seen places that had an end or that were destroyed? Nineveh um, is a place that existed. Solomon and Gomorrah, remember them? Uh, the Roman Empire. Um, I, I had a list here, but just thinking about great kingdoms who people never thought would fall, fail. Even great countries, people never thought would ever collapse in history, have collapsed. We talk about some of the churches that Paul writes to in the New Testament. Uh, you can go to those, some of those places now and, and you can see ruins where some of those places basically just collapsed. And here's what, we, what I want you to see from this. As he tells this, my mic's off. As he tells this, as he tells Mary about the throne of David, and the house of Jacob. Um, Nikki, you should have told me my mic fell. As he tells them about this, the thing I want you to see is he is giving her this picture, again, of the greatness of Christ, that it will never, the kingdom will never end. I want you to think about that. Every kingdom has or will one day come to an end but the kingdom of Christ never will. Never will. And we're proud to be a part of this, this country, and we should be. I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of it. And, but more proud should we be to be a member of the kingdom of God, right? Every time. That is our first citizenship, as we sang about earlier. Because the Bible says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we'll be following in his kingdom. Let me give you a, a quote from, this is Daniel chapter 7. It says, To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And then Daniel 7, 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. We serve a great, a holy Savior. Number one, the announcement of Christ in his birth was a very humble setting. Number two, it was a high privilege for Mary. And number three, he is a holy Savior. So as you kind of skim down there in chapter one and over to chapter two of Luke, did Gabriel's promise come to pass? It did, right? It certainly did, and and as I kind of read through those chapters this week, you know, God has made so many promises, and every time God makes a promise, it comes true. Either it has or it will come true. God has never made a promise that he has not or will not keep. Isn't that something? How many of us have broken promises? How many of us have had people tell us promises that they broke those to us? When God says something, he does it. And we can, as an application here at the end of this message, we can remember this morning, remember the promises that God has given us in Christ. As we approach Christmas Day, which is Saturday, and between now and then, as you do all the busy Christmas stuff, take some time to remember the promises of God in Christ. Namely, that the baby we think about during this time of year, would live a perfect life for us. You see, we're not only saved by his death, we're saved by his life, or we're, his life becomes our righteousness because it was a perfect life. He had to be that perfect sacrifice for our sins to be forgiven. So as you think about him this week, don't just think about the humble setting and the high privilege. Think about that holy Savior who lived a holy life, and then, yes, laid that life down for us. If you do not know Christ, the Bible says, Jesus said, believe in me, and you will be given eternal life. If you do not know Christ, there's no better thing you can do this Christmas season than believe on Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And church, may we dwell on the promises of Christ. If we're going through struggles here at the end of the year, may his promises hold us over. If for some reason you feel despised or humble or poor in a sense, understand that we have a Savior who came before us in that same manner. He came with a purpose and he accomplished that purpose. And for us, my last couple of notes here. Church, our goal, our mission is to wait, watch, serve, and pray. Because this Jesus, whose kingdom will not end, will one day come back and we will reign with him in his kingdom. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Let's pray.